This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk on what is a very sombre and sad morning for football. Uh, today marks the day after, of course, that we received the news that Pele uh, passed away uh, at the age of 82. Uh, Pele was a massive inspiration, of course, to football fans all around the world, particularly in his home nation of Brazil. And uh, I wanted to start off today's show by just mentioning this because without players like Pele. Uh, I think we can all agree that the football that we know today would be the same because of inspirational people like him. Uh, It is important to remember why we love this sport so much. So our thoughts are with those affected by Pele's passing and we wish them peace in the coming days ahead. Hello and good morning. Welcome to the Guna Talk. Hope you're doing good and well. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, the day, of course, before Arsenal play Brighton in their second game after the Premier League returns. Uh, really looking forward to tomorrow's game. I'm going to be going down to the Amex Stadium. It'll be a interesting drive on New Year's Eve. I'm sure lots of people will be celebrating at home and with fan, family and friends. And uh, I'm sure the roads will be rather quiet on the drive back from Brighton. Hopefully, though, I can be buoyed in my journey back home with a win and three points in the bag. That's me keeping my fingers very crossed against the Brighton side that we don't particularly have a very good record against, especially away from home. But we can hope to kind of put that bad record to bed, as we have done with a number of teams so far this season and last season. Another chance to show progression under Mikel Arteta. Uh, good morning, everybody joining us in the chat box. Zizi getting in there first. Great to see. Dave, good morning to you, to Daniel, to Kaiser, uh, Benjamin, good morning to Blackshine, Stephen Franklin. Dave says, where is Matt G? Someone call the police. I'm concerned for his safety. Where is Matt G? There he is. Uh, good morning, Matt G. I'm here. <laughs> Perez, good morning to you, to Tebby. Uh, Olu, Perez, uh, Adrian, Franklin, Stephen, uh, and good morning to the rest of you as well. Joining, so sorry, I can't always say good morning to everybody, but thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate that as always. So yesterday we uh, completed the ultimate, as I described it, 
breakdown of Mihailo, not Mikhailo. In, pro, in one of the things we learned yesterday is the pronunciation of his name more correctly. Mihailo Mudrik, uh, the Ukrainian international, Shakhtar Donetsk forward. We'll be talking more about him and the latest news regarding the Ukrainian a little bit later on today. But uh, if you haven't already given this a watch, thank you to the amazing number of people that have already watched that show. And thank you for all the kind comments. I think that Andrew Todos uh, had a fantastic piece of insight on the player, gave us so many different things, including his favourite pet amongst all things which I know a lot of you <laughs> found quite amusing during it but it was important to look at both on and off field matters uh, and I was very much uh, appreciative of Andrew's time and insight on the player he certainly sold me even more on the signing of Mudrik even with the certain price tags being associated but we'll give you the latest news on Mudrik at the headline end of today's news section Nuno Tavares scored a stunner for Olympic Marseille against Toulouse in a 6-1 win that also saw Sayad Kalasanac get on the score sheet. Uh, this is Tavares' fourth goal of the season, but it's quite some time since he scored his third. He scored three in quick succession right at the start of the season. So a bit of a quiet uh, period since then. But getting on the score sheet with a brilliant volley, uh, takes it on the chest, turns touch, half volley, bang, can't stop, can't be stopped. It was a, it was a wonderful finish, uh, and then that was also uh, seen a very similar kind of strike from following Balogun, who scored twice uh, for Rennes in a win over Rennes. Uh, getting those French pronunciations in there, but uh, yeah, he scored twice. The first goal again was a really good volley uh, across on the right hand side. Comes across bangs it in with his right foot. Second goal was a bit of a Steve Mondonda uh, mistake. Kicked it against his own defender, looped up over uh, him and uh, through to follow in Balogun, standing on his own to, ne- uh, to nod into a, an empty net. But two goals, taking him to 10 for the season, making him the joint third highest scorer in Liga behind Neymar's 11 and Kylian Mbappe's 13. So, very much uh, looking forward to seeing how many goals Palagan can score between now and the end of the season. And I think if Arsenal can sign, say, a forward in this January window on loan, it really does set up a great comeback for Balogun in the summer and to see what he might be able to do for us in the forthcoming season of 23-24. Now, it is increasingly likely now that Arsenal will wait for Tillemans' deal to run out in the summer before they sign him. There is less and less chance, it seems, of Arsenal accelerating their plans and spending money on what Leicester wants. There is talk, of course, of Tillemans potentially signing a new contract at Leicester. Um, But as I reported to you all in the summer, uh, Edu has been very much willing to wait all the way through until 2023 to sign the Belgian on a free transfer. Now, one midfielder that Arsenal have apparently inquired about is Moises Caicedo. Uh, Liverpool have apparently had a kind of very much uh, more, what's the word I'm looking for? Direct inquiry about the potential 70 million price tag that Brighton would want for the player uh, already kind of knocked back at this stage. Brighton don't really want to sell, but if they do, it will be for that upwards of 70-odd million pounds. And when Arsenal come in and ask for a price tag and see it at that kind of level, I don't think they're going to be going anywhere near him. It is quite incredible, the the, the scouting that's done at Brighton. I was looking at a tweet uh, earlier on today from... Uh, Laurie at Laurie, uh, LFC Laurie on Twitter. Uh, Michael McDonald's replied to this and it alerted me to it. Brighton are possibly getting 60 million for Caicedo after getting 50 million for Ben White, 62 million for Kukurea, and 25 million for Basuma, which actually rises to 35 million. Um, while they could probably sell Leandro Trossard, McAllister, Sanchez, and Mitama for big fees as well, they paid 59 million for the eight of them combined. 
never seen scouting like it. Uh, yes, Brighton have done brilliantly well with the players they've brought in and they are going to make huge fees for them. And Arsenal, I think, you know, whilst we say I wish we could have kind of the same level of scouting as as Brighton, there is a difference as to the reason why Brighton are able to do these kind of smaller deals, take risks on players, play players more because they know they can give them the minutes. Arsenal can't necessarily do that in the same way. So we end up paying bigger fees for players after they've kind of established themselves. And it's only rarely do you see players like Martinelli, Tommy Asu to a lesser extent, you know, coming for relatively lower fees and then impress and improve. But I think we can all say that the improvements that we've made in the recruitment setup have certainly seen Arsenal's value of their players since they've bought them go up. Uh, you look at the entire starting eleven; most of them have increased their value, if not already. And some of them, of course, came through for nearly next to nothing, like Saka, Smith-Rowe, who came through the academy as well. So even though I think we can look with some jealousy at Brighton's recruitment, we are doing a very good job ourselves. Now, uh, Arsenal have supposedly asked Atleti to reduce their asking price now for Joao Felix. Uh, the asking price was... At quite a significant standing, eight million, as we heard, rising to thirteen odd million with his wages. Uh, there's even been some suggestions it could be significantly more than that. Uh, Arsenal, however, have supposedly said that if they are going to be able to take Joao Felix on loan for the rest of the season, Atleti and the players are going to have to come down on their expectations. It might mean that, of course, Atleti would have to take on some of the players' wage, and it makes sense that they should do that because. Whilst there is no option or obligation to buy in this potential loan move for Joao Felix, what it does mean is that he can continue to improve on his value, improve while playing. And if he's not playing particularly well at Atletico Madrid, it means that whilst playing well at Arsenal, when he returns to Atleti in the summer, he would have a massive price tag, of course, available. So, yeah, you've got to think of it that way. And I think that certainly Joao Felix, if Arsenal could bring him in, would represent quite a significant uh, step up in the options that they've got in that attacking area. It would be a real asset to us between now and the end of the season. I'm hoping and keeping my fingers very much crossed that Joao Felix does indeed arrive at Arsenal on loan between now and the end of the season. And the headline story of today is that Arsenal continue to grow in optimism about Mihailo Mudrik. Uh, and the hope is, according to Sam Dean, that a new bid will be put in soon. And they are mulling over uh, an improved offer that they hope will get the job done. Arsenal want to be aggressive with this. We heard from Andrew Tolos yesterday that he has a horrible feeling that this might uh, drag on into the window somewhat because Shakhtar are not in any rush to sell Mudrik. However, Arsenal are in an aggressive stance to try and get this deal done as soon as possible so that Mudrik can arrive and acclimatise and integrate and get involved in the early games, potentially before that Oxford game in the FA Cup. That could be a good opportunity to kind of bed him in in the Arsenal team. Um, so there's opportunities for Arsenal to get this deal done early and get Mudrik playing as soon as possible, if indeed they can do that. However, it is important, and this did come up in yesterday's show with Andrew, there is an expectation because they've not played since November and Mudrik's not played competitively since November. It might take a little bit of time for him to get up to match fitness. So that is, is kind of the big, big thing to think about. So if he does come in early, don't expect to see him straight away. It might take him some time depending on how he has returned fitness-wise because he hasn't played much football at all as has a lot of, of players out in that region. So there you go. Uh, that completes all of today's stories. Uh, however, what we will be doing is a preview 
for the Brighton game tomorrow uh, at 5 p.m. this uh, 6 p.m. Sorry, this evening. So do tune in this evening at 6 p.m. for the Brighton preview. I'll be joined by some of our members, as I always am, in our Discord server uh, to look ahead to that game against Brighton. Looking through our lineups, our injuries, uh, the team news, and of course our predictions as well. Mikel Arteta should. Uh, be doing his press conference and we should be hearing some more from him ahead of the game as well so we'll be able to give you any up-to-date information on the team uh, ahead of that game tonight Tommy Asu is expected to be back and has trained as far as I'm aware so that's really positive news Um, but do make sure you tune in and set your alarms for 6 p.m UK time tonight to get involved with our um, our match preview let's move to the questions in part two right after this Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, um, I always like to quickly hop over to Twitter just whilst that little thing is playing out, just in case I've missed anything big. And uh, I forgot, so I was quickly doing it now, but we're safe. We're good. The thing about doing these shows at 8 o'clock in the morning sometimes is that news drops at like 8.15 and 8.30 and people tweet me saying, why didn't you talk about this on the morning show? And I was like, because it came out about 9 o'clock. So uh, that's that's often the reason. So I always like to try and check partway through the show if indeed I have missed anything significant in that time. Okay, let's jump into the chat box then. Ashley says, the probability is higher for Saliba to get a fifth yellow in the next few games. Which game do you prefer him to miss? Newcastle, Spurs, Manchester United. Uh, The FA Cup game doesn't count. As far as I'm aware, they are separate. Um, So if you get a yellow card in the game before the FA Cup, you can play in the FA Cup. I think think they changed the rules. I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure they changed the rules um, for Cup games. So I don't think it carries over in that sense. I will double check that for you. Um, in terms of Spurs and Man United and Newcastle, I think it has to be one of the home games. It's probably the Man United game, to be honest. Um, but I, th- I think I'd like to have him for Newcastle. I think that's a really important game that we have our best team available for because they are up there with City, you know, chasing us. We have to win that. Uh, Spurs, we have to have him for, of course, away from home. So I think Man United is the obvious one. It's a great question, though, Ashley. Um, but yeah, I think Saliba probably... It's worth. That said, it's after the 18th game that things get um, things get wiped, isn't it? Let's have a quick check of when he actually picked up those yellow cards this season. Uh, let's just scroll down. View full stats. Uh, this season, he received a yellow card. The last time he got a yellow card was against Leeds, so he has managed to avoid a yellow card in one, two, three, four, five successive. Premier League game. So he's capable of avoiding it. He was quite lucky not to get the yellow card, I thought, with the penalty against Bowen. I really thought he was going to get a yellow in that moment. And that would, of course, seen him miss the game against Brighton. 
which maybe some people might think is favourable to have him available for Newcastle and Spurs and Man United. But I'm kind of glad he's going to be there to help deal with what we're going to come up against tomorrow. Uh, Matt says, do you see a future uh, for Balogun or Balagol as he's now being known? I, I do, Matt. Yeah, I think that he's having a fantastic season. I'd be interested to get Arteta's thoughts on this. Maybe it's something that he'll be asked about very soon. But Balogun is having a great season uh, with uh, with Rims. Rims. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get that nail one day. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's doing very well. And I think that he has potentially got a future. For sure. I mean, we've got him on a long-term contract. That's the positive thing with Balogun. Uh, Amira says, what are the odds that Smith Rowe comes back as a left eight instead of a left winger? It would make sense since we're only looking at wingers and wide forwards this window. I think there is a good chance of this. I had a really good discussion with Rohan, who a lot of you probably follow on Twitter, Rohan Blogs, uh, does some really good tactical stuff. And whilst at the moment I don't necessarily agree that his best position is that left eight role, because I don't think we've seen enough evidence to suggest that is the case. What I do think, and what I think the Rohan makes a great point about, is that the space that Smith-Rowe occupied when playing on the left wing is very similar to the space that Granit Xhaka has been occupying in that left eight position, and it has changed. Martinelli plays a lot more closer to the touchline and further forward than Smith-Rowe did when he was playing in that left playmaker, if you like, kind of position. So there is theory that he could really flourish in that left eight position the way that it's now being played, but we need to see it in action before I can go, yep, yeah, you know, fair enough, that really works. But evidence over everything else, but I think in theory there's there's a chance that it could work. Uh, Dirk says, are we missing a trick if we don't sign a centre mid in January? Would you rather two forwards or Mudrick and a centre mid? I'd, re- I'd prefer two forwards, uh, Dirk, to be honest. Of course, that forward has to be a good one, has to be competitive. I'm not just talking about anyone. But I really think the numbers that we have in midfield are enough to get us through till the end of the season. Yes, I know that we could struggle if Partey gets injured or if Xhaka gets injured. But if we're being very honest, the likelihood of us being able to bring in a midfielder that can compete with Partey or compete with Xhaka in January isn't that high. The options just aren't there. However, in the forward line, I think there are some game-changing options. Ralph Felix being, of course, one of those and Mudrick being the other. But in midfield, we've got um, on Xhaka's side, we've got Xhaka, we've got Vieira, we've got Lokonga, uh, and we've got uh, Smith-Rowe coming back, who, as we've just talked about, could play there. And in Partey's position, we've got Partey and Elneny, and then Lokonga, of course, can also play there if we need him to, but it is not to the same level. But Elneny has proven to be able to do a good job. I just don't think you're really going to be able to sign too many number sixes this window that can do more than what Elneny can to back up Partey. I, I really don't think there are that many options. There might be some young players that we could bring in, maybe and, and bed in gradually, but they're not going to give you much more. So if it's up to me, I'd rather we went out and signed two forwards. Um, if you think about it, we are lacking a, a kind of a goal scorer that's up there with the highest scorers in the league. So I think there is more goals to sap out of that forward line and to bring to the table. So, yeah, I would go for the two forwards over the midfielder and the for, uh, and Mudrick, uh, since you asked. Um Let's go to Alex who says, what do you think Pepe could fetch in terms of a fee? I think we'd be lucky to get 12 million quid, Alex, to be honest. And that sounds harsh. I think we'd be lucky to get about 12 million for him. Uh, Zach says, all right, Tom, since you crushed my Enzo Fernandez dreams, what about going after another Argentinian Alexis McAllister? Uh, did I spell that correctly? Uh, close, I think. I think it's an ER at the end. Um, but uh, Alexis McAllister is a fantastically versatile player that I would absolutely love to see come into the club. I think he'd be a really good option for us as a competitor to Xhaka, uh, even playing slightly deeper. He's played DM, he's played CM, he's played attacking midfield, he's played second striker, he's even played in a wide position. He is very impressive. Um, 
So, yeah, I think if there's a chance to go out and get him, he could be a long-term replacement for Xhaka in that left-eight position. We'd have to wait and see if it's on Arsenal's radar, but there has been some whispers that Arsenal are interested, but nothing concrete to suggest we're going in for him anytime soon. Uh, Matt G says, what do you think Arteta's long-term plan for Mudrick is? Competition for Martinelli, cover for both Saka and Martinelli, and to play out front. Well, one of the things that you would have learned if you'd have watched, uh, I'm not saying you haven't, Matt, uh, which I know I think that you have, um, the show yesterday, is that Andrew spoke about how Mudrick is really working on his left foot. And he's really developing his uh, his double-footedness, if you like. He's really improving that left side of his game. So to say that if he did move a position if to the right-hand side or through the middle, that he would still be strong enough to use both feet. Now, it's important to remember then when Mudrick was developing and coming through the ranks, as Andrew talked about yesterday, is that he has played on the right and he has played as a number 10 as well. He's got that versatility in his game. So I think that it's all about competition, Matt. I think that's the key word. I had a conversation in in the comment section, I think, this morning um, where someone was asking, why on earth would we spend so much on a player that doesn't start for us right now? The, what the key words in that sentence are right now, and I think the key thing for Mudrick, as I've talked about this season, is he's a killer for us in the last six months. Bring him off the bench in the last 20, 30 minutes, get the extra goal, kill games off. That's going to be critical for us. You looked at the front line against West Ham. We had Nketiah, Saka, Martinelli. Without Smith-Rowe there, without Jesus there, we looked really light. You know, And there wasn't really too much we could do to change the game off the bench. And Ketia also looked shattered by about 60 minutes in. He really did look tired. So I think we do need to have something else there. And I think Mudrick is going to add a lot of fitness, a lot of running, a lot of energy, and a lot of danger and threat as well if we bring him in. Long-term competition, rotation, starting, you know, that's all going to come forward. You look at Man City and the options they've got in the wide areas. It's all about making sure you've got enough quality and rotation to maintain form across not just one competition, but potentially four. I hope that answers your question, Matt. Uh, Thomas says, how many signings do you think we'll get? I think two. Uh, DR says, uh, and I did have a good Christmas, by the way. Thank you for asking. Uh, DR says, how is married life treating you? It, I'll be very honest with you. It's exactly the same as it was before I got married. Nothing really changes. <laughs> Your hand gets a bit heavier. That's about it. Um, but nothing's changed. But it's, in that sense, as good as it can be, which is great. So thank you for asking. Uh, Peeny Ween says, if, Mud- if Buddy Rick, uh, which is, I'm assuming, Peeny Ween's nickname for Mudrick, doesn't come in, is there someone else of similar quality we have in our sights? It seems the other name that's been mentioned is Ferran Torres. I am aware that Arteta is a long-term admirer of Ferran Torres from his time working at Man City and has followed him whilst at Barcelona. If we don't sign Mudrick, I imagine that Ferran Torres might be the one that Arsenal look to. But they are very, very different. He doesn't have the pace that that, that Mudrick has. He's stylistically quite different. He's not really... He's more of kind of a central figure for me. I, I liked him through the middle when he played at Man City. That's the only real name that's coming to mind, though, right at this moment in time. They are going all in on Mudrick, and he is very much the priority right now. So they're hoping to get that deal done if they can. Um Let's go to NVR. It says, Tom, last time I watched uh, the last Atletico Madrid match, Ralph Felix for the entirety of the first half just walking around. Is that something we should be worried about? Although he did get more active after he scored. I don't think so. It's a kind of similar theory I put towards Tillemans. It's two players that are just not really that happy about where they are right now. And I think that in a new team under Arteta, who's very demanding indeed, I think you would see a significant reaction Um but yeah, there's, he's not. Ralph Alex has not been happy under Simeone at all for some time. It's just not fit what he wants to do. 
Um, Bolu says, uh, if we do get Joao Felix and when Gabby Jesus is fit, would you be tempted to play them together? And how would you fit them into the team considering the form of Martinelli, Saka and Odegaard? It's a good question, Bolu. But again, I bring back the point of rotation. I think the Europa League is going to be key for that. I think we could play Jesus in a wider position. Joao Felix has played wide left for Portugal and for Atletico. He's played wide as well. It, they're both versatile enough that you could use them you know, in different positions. I think that you'd probably keep Jesus maybe through the middle. Joao Felix, you would might move into the left-hand side role. But, you know, it just adds, when you get Jesus back, if we bring in Joao Felix, if we've added Mudrik, add that to Martinelli, Saka and Odegaard, you've got one hell of a forward line. You know, one hell of an option uh, up top. It really is exciting stuff if we can get those players through the door. Um, Benji says, I saw Tommy training with the team again. Do you think we'll see him feature in the next four games? And if so, which game? Uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I do. I think we could see him away at Spurs. That might be where you see him pop up. Oxford, I think, obviously, is another game that you'll probably see Tommy Asu play. But I think maybe to try and quieten down Kulisevsky, we might play Tommy Asu like we did against Liverpool on that left-hand side. Uh, Dave says, have you seen the latest... Premier League win predictor for us, Tom. The supercomputer puts us at 82.7 points. That means that if we get 43 points from 23 games, 15 wins, we still lose the title. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I'm not surprised that's the case. Um, let me have a quick look on 538, which is usually the website I use um, to look at the Premier League predictions. They've still got Man City um, winning the league uh, at the moment. They have them as uh, 53% likely to win the league. We are currently 37% likely. I imagine if we beat Man City in that game in February and we're still top, that will swap round. Uh, I think they are waiting to see if Arsenal can beat Man City in that game. And if we'd have beat a Man City early in the season, you might have seen us... Um, you know, with that that slight lead over Man City in terms of the predictions. But I'm not surprised that the the models have got us like that. What I do like about this model is that 93% likely to reach the Champions League. Remember, that's last season was constantly fluctuating between us and Spurs. And at the end, Spurs obviously got it. So, but I like, I like that stat. But yeah, 37% to win the title. If I'd have said to you that 14 games in, We've got a 37% chance to win the title. Would you have taken it? Because I think I would. I think that looks excellent. Uh, Temi says, who do we sign if the Mudrick price is too high? Again, I think Ferran Torres is probably the one that they'll look to if that one doesn't work. They might not look to anyone because they are only interested in signing players that they really genuinely want. And they might wait till the summer, see if they can get Mudrick then. Um Let's go to uh, Moyne, who says, Hi, Tom, can you mention the site you check for all the stats about players? You mentioned it before, but I forgot. Yeah, sure. So I use a couple of websites. I use FBref quite a lot. That's a free website that you can use. Uh, the other website I use, which you have to pay for, is Yscout. Uh, it's so much uh, with that, you know, it's, but it is quite expensive. So that is one of the things that the members help to fund with their financial support of the channel. Um, it's they're using things like Yscout, so I can then bring you uh, all of the anal analysis that we do on the channel. So yes, uh, Yscout if you want paid stuff, uh, FBref if you want um, if you want the uh, the free stuff. But it's still a very good website, very very good as well. Um, Mohamed uh, says, uh, hi, Tom. Uh, what are your thoughts on Arsenal being the only club after Mudrik? Uh, they're not. Uh, Newcastle are another team that are interested. Real Madrid are also very much keeping tabs on Mudrik. They've been following him for some time. But, of course, with the Endrick situation, with how Vinicius Jr. has been playing, 
they aren't interested in signing anyone this window. And Ancelotti's actually come out and said that their market is closed. They won't be doing anything. Um, but Real Madrid have been keeping very close tabs on Madrid ever since that performance against them in the Champions League. Newcastle were the other big team that are uh, very interested in him as well. And we knew we do need to take them seriously. We just need to look at where they're on the table and their record this season to know why we have to take them seriously. But yes, uh, so then we're not the only club uh, after Mudrik. And to be honest, um, I'm not surprised that there aren't too many clubs after him. The price is very big, um, very big indeed. And that's probably what is putting a lot of teams off going for him at the moment. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Wizard Weeb uh, says, on the topic of future, do you think Nicolas Pepe has any future after his loan to Nice? Can he be the number two for Saka or is his future with the club already out of the picture? I think it's already out of the picture. I think he will leave the club in the summer. I think Arsenal will get a very small fee in comparison to what we paid for him. And we'll move on. And I think that's probably the right decision. I just don't think Pepe suits what we're trying to do. I don't think Pepe suits the system that we have been playing with. I don't think he just... He just doesn't fit. It's as simple as that. He's not bad. He's not a bad player by any means. And I think he's done okay since going back to Nice. You know, if it's in some good things, which is some not so good things, I think he can succeed if in the right system. And he was in the right system at Lyon and it's just not fit here. And that's, that's just part and parcel of, of some transfers. They don't work out. But it has had an impact on Arsenal's transfer philosophy. They don't want to spend £72 million plus on a player, really. And they are very much trying not to avoid paying uh, more than £72 million for Mudrik, um, as I've mentioned a number of times on the show. That's my understanding of the situation. Um, Gabenga says, uh, you seem to be softening your stance on Smith Rowe as an eight. I like that. I like it because, as I say, I am always open to changing my mind. And when people present me with evidence, as Rohan did and suggested to look into, I'm always open to the idea of having my mind change. I just need to see it. That's the problem. I need to see Smith Rowe play there in this new system and I need to see it succeed. And I'm not going to write it off after one game. I'll be critical if it doesn't work, obviously, but I'm not going to write it off. I think you need to see it happen over a number of games. But yeah, we need to. It really frustrates me when I have. I regularly get into debates and discussions and not, I don't want to call them arguments, but you know, discussions and debate with people on about Arsenal, about football. And you can almost tell immediately when someone will not see their viewpoint change. You can tell it's going to happen because they're fighting tooth and nail beyond all evidence. And when you ask for evidence and they can't provide it, that's often a big tell that it doesn't matter what you say or question, their mind will not be changed. And it's always important to remember that you can't change someone's minds. You, it's it's not possible. All you can do is convince them through questioning, typically, to make them make the decision to change their own mind. That's the only way. So if you're trying to bombard somebody with, with stats and evidence, often it's, it's not the way to go. The best way to try and have a debate is to ask questions. And that's why I do that so often during back and forth about anything. Um, so, for instance, let me give you an example. Um, Afsar, who is one of our long-term listeners, will be going, what? Why is he talking about me? Uh, in the chat box. Um I think put a comment in the comment section yesterday saying I wouldn't pay more than 60 million for Mudrick. So I said, what about 65? Haven't got a response yet, Afsar, so I'm waiting for that. And it's that kind of thing about prices. Like, when do you start saying no? And then why have you started to say no? If you won't pay 60, or sorry, if you will pay 60, but you won't pay 65, where's the middle ground? And why is that? Why would you pay 60 and not 65? What's the big difference between those two figures that would stop you from spending that money on Mudrick? 
Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, but just remember, it's always a good place to question someone. Um, and it was always important to answer a question. You know, I often find if I ask a question, I get a question in return. That doesn't really help anything. You know, if I ask a question, hopefully you get an answer back and then they can answer a question in response. But that's one of the most frustrating things in the world. If when you ask a question during a debate and they don't answer it, they just come back with another question. It's always best to try and answer it first. I'm probably guilty of that too, to be fair. Um, but it's always best to try and answer the question and then reply with another question. That's the best way to go about it. Uh, James says, Brighton is a team that we've struggled against in recent past. How do you see the game playing out this time? And what is your score prediction? I think what we'll see differently than what we saw in the League Cup game is obviously we'll have a better team on the field. And I think we'll have a much more control in the game. We should have more of the ball. We should be more dangerous in attack. And I think we've got a lot of momentum as well going into this one after the big win against West Ham. They, of course, had a good win themselves that will give them confidence. I think we've got a good squad available. They don't have McAllister as well. I don't think he's going to be back yet for that game, which is a big loss for them. Um, but they do have, obviously, the, the likes of Caicedo and Trossard and Mitamar and, you know, a lot of players that have been doing fantastically well for them. They are a very good striker away from being a European competitive side, in my view. If they could sign a striker that scored regularly and got more goals, they really could be something. Um, and that's what they should be looking to do is try and find a striker that can really take them to that next level. Because I have no doubt that the big seven, as we're probably describing it now with Newcastle entering the field, you never know. Brighton could genuinely, the way they recruit, the how smart they are in the market, there's no reason why they couldn't be the eighth team in this scenario. Better than West Ham, better than Wolves, better than you know these Everton, these other teams that are really trying to be pretenders. Brighton have done fantastically, not just with their player recruitment, but with their coaching appointments. Graham Potter and now Deserby, you know, and it's it was funny listening to to Graham Sooners really right off Deserby at the start. Why are we giving these guys jobs? We've never done anything. You know, it's all about importance, and they would have done their due diligence in who they chose, and it's certainly paying off at this stage. Anyway. Um, Thanks, bro. Pro, glad you like the jacket. It's very nice. I spend far too much money on Arsenal merchandise, but they just they just produce such nice stuff that you can't not really. <laughs> it's the way that it is. Um, Jabu says uh, we have done so well in the market uh, that overspending on Mudrick to me makes some sense, and we can't win them all. Yeah, I think if you look at our starting kind of eleven, and you look at the actual options in the forward line, you got Jesus forty five million, Martinelli five million, Saka free, and Ketia free, Nelson free, Smithrow free, um, and you add Mudrick that was probably going to cost sixty five, seventy million quid, maybe. We can afford to add that kind of figure and it balances out still. An average spend across all of them is still very low for players of that quality at the level that Arsenal are. So yeah, you're right, Jabu. We can overspend on Mudrick because we have got such a good kind of spending um, in the early section of those with Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Nelson and Ketia cost us next to nothing for all of those um, other than wages, of course. So yeah, I think that's a really important point to bring up. Um Oh, Amanda's in the chat box. Uh, this Felix bloke you mentioned on the show uh, you did with me, uh, what do we know about him? Um, Arsenal wanting to bring the price down on the loan. That's that's about where we're at. But Arsenal are certainly interested in Joao Felix, uh, PG, um, and, uh, and want him. And we will hopefully be able to get that one done because I think on loan for six months is an excellent bit of business if Arsenal can pull it off. Um Bakary Lasagna says, uh, Tom, would you start integrating Patino in the squad next season or let him stay on loan? I would start integrating him. I think it's a perfect time to do it. I think we've got uh, the ability to do it because I don't think there is that many midfielders that we are 
going to be able to go and get, to be honest. The midfield market is not flush with options, really, for me, unless you can go big on a Caicedo or a McAllister or a Milinkovic-Savic or, or a Declan Rice, something like that, which I'm not necessarily sure I see us doing because they rate Patino so highly. They love the kids. They've just activated the two-year clause in his contract, and they are hoping to get a longer-term extension in his deal as well. He is a very special kid, full of talent. Blackpool are loving him. And I know it's, you know, quote, with, with the utmost respect, only Blackpool, but, you know, it is it is very impressive what he's done this season uh, to jump into the championship from a youth level and show what he is showing. He's bulked up. He's more physical. He's not... A, He's not this scrawny kid anymore. You know, he really has got some muscle about him now. And uh, and I think that's helping. Similar to Mudrick, ironically, who we talked about yesterday, has developed muscularly uh, and is really physically much better uh, in those kind of areas. Let's scroll down a bit more in the chat. Um, Football Army says, what's your feeling about the Mavra Panos sale? For me, it really does still upset me because if we were going to buy him this winter, he would probably walk into this team. He's been tearing it up. He's been doing very well for Stuttgart, a team that aren't that good. And he will, I imagine, move probably to a Borussia Dortmund. I could probably see that deal happening. Um, am I upset about it? No, not really. Does he walk into our team? No, he doesn't. Saliba and Gabriel are, are superior. And I think that Tommy Asu, I'd still probably play him um, in those areas as well. I don't think he walked into the team. I don't think he would have started for us had he have stayed is he a big undersell at three and a half million euros? Absolutely. Definitely worth probably five times more than that. But uh, I'm not, I don't have too much regret about that one, to be honest. I think we've done fine with the center packs that we've got now. If you think about, um, if you think about the, the element of where we were with Mustafi holding Socrates and we've moved on now to Saliba. Gabriel, Tomiyasu, even holding I like. Uh, at 27, I think he's a consistent standard defender. But we do need to sign another. And if we can get an Indica in for free, I think that'd be a great bit of business. We don't have a buyback, but we do have a sell-on clause, is my understanding of Varapanos, that there is a 20-ish percent sell-on clause in his contract. Same as Ismail Banassa, uh, I think, had one as well. Uh, Mohamed says, with the exception of Martinelli, Arsenal is way behind our rivals in getting top talent from South America. City got Alvarez, now uh, Perone for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea got Santos, of course, and Enzo Fernandez was available. I mean, Fernandez, 100-odd million is not the same. Um, but South American talents, we managed to go and get Martinelli. We've signed Gabriel Jesus. We've signed Marquinhos. Um, we were interested in Savinho, the, the guy who went to Man City and, and eventually is now on loan at PSV. I don't think we're way behind our rivals. I think that we are probably a bit behind Man City, but the reason why we're behind Man City is because they've got great contacts in South America. They've got clubs in South America, in Uruguay and in Brazil. That helps them out a lot. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. We're still doing very well with Brazilians. Uh, we've still done very, very well indeed. Uh, we've signed in Brazilian players. So... I don't necessarily see that as a problem right now. Uh, Data for World says, Tom, I'm not convinced enough about the price of Mudrick. Do you think it's worth to go up to the price of that for him? My recommendation, if you want to find out my views on whether or not he's worth it, we talk about that in detail in yesterday's tactical breakdown, the ultimate breakdown of Mikhailo, or Mihailo, rather, Mudrick. So do go and watch the show from yesterday. Uh, it is the last upload on the channel. It will give you all the info you need about Mudrick, including the discussion about whether or not he's worth the price tag. Um, we won't answer too many more. Uh, Caicedo is out uh, with five yellows, not available. Wow, that's great news. You can see how far behind I am when I'm scrolling down the chat box. There's so many comments, but 
Boys of Caicedo won't play. Fantastic to see that. That was that's me being on annual leave. <laughs> it's the benefit of being off, just completely out the know on some things. Uh, there's over a thousand of you, as James points out in the chat box. Please do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. Thank you to all of the new people that have been tuning into the show over the last few weeks and months. It means a lot that you make this part of your daily routine. Uh, if you can drop a like, we really do genuinely appreciate it. It helps us out a lot as we move ever closer to trying to hit 50,000 subscribers. Thank you for all of the kind support always. Uh, Dan says, hi, Tom. Why do you think it was so difficult for Wenger to sign standard defenders and fix our defence for a long period? I don't really have the answer to the question, Dan. Um, we made a lot of mistakes with signings uh, in that area. We did make some good deals. You think about Koscielny was signed and did really, really well for what we paid for him. We were in a period of financial restrictness, but I always thought when we spent big on the forward line that we and the midfield that we did miss out. You know, we spent big on Lucas Perez, big on Danny Welbeck. We didn't spend enough in the areas that were really costing us. That was that defensive area. So, yeah, I think that that's probably the reason. But I don't know why. I can't give you a reason why we didn't. And Mohammed says you keep saying there are no good options, but I leave if we're going to spend and big slash overspend, then this money should go for the number six. And we can get a reasonably priced attacker. My question is going to be who, Mohammed? Who? I know that on our show that we did that you joined us, you said Declan Rice. You know, overspending, you're not going to see us spend 100 million on Declan Rice in January, and that's what he's going to cost. I just don't see us getting a number six um, right now. And I don't see the options being thrown my way either, to be fair. So feel free, though, to throw your uh, the names into the chat box and. You know, I'm always open to be proven wrong and change my mind. So feel free to throw those names into the chat box. Wade says, Jude over Mudrick would be great. We have so many wingers coming through. Smith Rowe and Vieira can play wide. Jude can play as a 6, 8, and a 10. Can't play as a 10, but certainly can play as a 6 and an 8. Um, never seen him play as a 10. But uh, I just think that the Jude situation is so different to Mudrick. Mudrick's going to probably cost you wages-wise, what, £50,000 a week, maybe? Probably around that figure, 50, 60, £70,000 per week, maybe. Jude's going to cost you over 300000 a week. That's the difference. And City are going to offer that. And Liverpool are going to offer that. And Man United are probably going to offer that. And Chelsea are probably going to offer that. Arsenal aren't going to pay a 19, 20-year-old £300,000 per week, which is more than £80,000 more than what our highest earner of, of Jesus is on. It's just not going to happen. We can probably afford the transfer fee, maybe, to commit that much to a player that good. Absolutely. But the wage is the big problem with Jude Bellingham. You just... It's just not going to happen because the teams that want him can offer so much more than we can offer right now. And that's where we're kind of at. Um, yeah, back here, Lizanne said, Arsene Wenger brought in Andre Santos. What more could you ask for? Uh, Lynn says, Tell me, if Wenger was given a role at the club, what role would you think that he would be best suited to? Ambassador, ambassadorial uh, would be the role I would give him. I, I wouldn't give him a role in the, in the, in the executive level that has any kind of decision-making bearing. Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal is done. It's over. It's finished. You know, that that Arsene Wenger period at Arsenal is, is there and it happened. And Arsenal had to evolve from that. So whilst I would be more than happy to see Arsene Wenger become an ambassadorial figure at the club, I don't really, right now in my mindset, I don't really want to see him have a role that has an influence on the decision-making that affects the first team. We've got a great dynamic going on right now. I love the setup. I really enjoy the, the dynamism between Edu and Arteta, Richard Garlic, you know, and the recruitment team beyond that, and the scouts that we've brought in. 
I don't think we need to add Wenger into that decision-making group for the club at all. It would be ambassadorial, and, and that's it for me. That's kind of where I'm at. I just think I wanted an evolution from Wenger, and I think we've done that. You know, I, I absolutely love the things that he did for the club and the success we had to an extent, but yeah, just just not for me <laughs> just just not i don't want him making decisions at arsenal anymore that time has, has certainly passed um let's go to manu who says smithrow mudrick eddie as options do you see us getting up different uh do you see us setting up differently with them depending on the opposition or would you stick to your guns uh if they are there as options for us i think we've got rotational differences but i think we'll probably continue with jesus when fit uh, Saka Martinelli with the starting three this season. Eddie can come in while Jesus is out. Mudrik, I think, will come off the bench for Martinelli in most games and rotate in maybe some of the Europa League and FA Cup games. Smithrow, I think you'll see probably, from the sounds of things, playing more in midfield. When he's come off the bench, he's played in midfield, not really on the left, especially if Mudrik comes in. I think his position will probably become more central. Um, but hopefully that works. I'd, I'd love it to be wrong on that if it does. But, uh, yeah, that's where I kind of see things, Manu. So I hope that, again, answers your question. Uh, Lin says, I totally agree about Wenger. Uh, I feel uh, we would see another Manchester United situation if he was given any kind of small power. Uh, yeah, maybe it's one of the mistakes that Man United made is allowing Sir Alex Ferguson to have such a, an influence on things after he left. It's just never going to be helpful to whoever's there as coach. And they're still recovering from that that loss. We've recovered. You know, we have fully recovered now from Arsene Wenger leaving Arsenal and we are in a great position. And it's because we detached, you know, I think we separated and that was the right way to go about it. He was at the club for so long, we needed to learn how to work without him. And that had to be done, I think, with a clean break, a total disconnection. And uh, and I think we've seen the benefits of that finally happening now. It was never going to be quick. It was never going to be easy. Um, but I think we're there and I think we've done it the right way. Anyway, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. The genuine pleasure. Do drop a like. Do subscribe if you are new to the channel. I'll be back this evening, as I say, at 6 p.m. UK time with our preview show for Arsenal's game against Brighton, of which I will be very, very happy to be back and watching Arsenal in the flesh tomorrow at the Amex Stadium. Looking forward to the drive down and back on New Year's Eve evening. Um, but do join in for that. We've got three fantastic guests joining us from our Discord server this evening to talk you all through that. We'll get your thoughts, theories, predictions and queries on that game as well. And then I'll be back tomorrow morning before the game to round up any big transfer news and etc etc that drops today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you then. Have a fantastic day. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.